You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today with us, we have CPA and a client in the house. What's going on, Anna? How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Dante? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So this, uh, this week's episode is going to be a little different. Um, we're really going to talk about taxes, depreciation, deductions, 1031 exchanges, a bunch of different things like that. It's going to be tied into real estate, but the back end of real estate, all the not so sexy stuff, I guess you could say, of real estate. So Anna, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us what you do and where you're from. Absolutely. So uh, my firm is based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but we work 100% virtually with all with people all over the country. Um, so my firm specializes in tax planning for real estate investors. So we do do tax preparation um, consulting, but again, we specialize in tax planning because that is something that I was seeing a lot of my clients were not getting. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving that value to our clients. Okay, awesome. So for those guys that can see the screen, I'm going to be talking about these two books right here. Um, they're in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. This is where I learned a lot of my info from. The first one is Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. He's a CPA as well. And then the other one is Loopholes of Real Estate by Garrett Sutton. He's an attorney. Um, both those books talk about a lot what we're going to be talking about, and that's where I initially learned a lot of that info. Um, obviously I'm going to let Anna take the rein for a majority of what we're talking about here. Cause she's the professional. I'm just going to ask the questions. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, let's talk about depreciation. So how does depreciation work? And we're going to be basing this obviously on, on real estate and rental properties. How does depreciation work on a rental property? Please dive right, right into that. Sure. So depreciation is my like best friend. It should be every real estate investor's best friend, right? Because it is a non-cash non-cash expense that creates the loss on paper that everyone in real estate is looking for. At the end of the day, when we say really uh, you have a loss on paper, it's 95% of the time because of depreciation. So to just give you a, a super simple example, let's say you buy a rental property and you have $100 of rent every single month. Well, now you have to depreciate the investment that you just made over 27 and a half years. That's for residential rental properties. So that creates a huge deduction, giving you a loss on paper and actually deduct, uh, reducing your taxable income. Okay. So let's say I had a property that I bought for $150,000. Mm -hmm. Am I depreciating that $150,000 over 27 years? Is that what I'm doing? Yes. And so the, the basis of the property becomes a really important aspect of investing that a lot of investors don't maybe understand and sometimes take for granted when they want to have a, a preparer do their taxes. Right. And I'm going to dig in a little bit into that because that basis and depreciation have a lot to do with it. So essentially I have a lot of clients and I've seen a lot of real estate investors who are say, I don't need a CPA. Like I can do this on my own. I only have two to three to five. Right. I'm like, absolutely. So that's awesome. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> I'll see you in like three years. Yep. The biggest part that that sucks is that they don't understand the basis of the property. So it's as easy as saying, yep, I bought a property for a hundred thousand dollars. So that's my basis. Okay. Well, what if you put a roof into it? What if you had to put plumbing into it? Like if you had to do a lot of work that may increase your basis, not always, but you don't know that as an investor, unless you are very, you're very knowledgeable on the tax code, which a lot of people aren't, and I don't expect them to be. So basis is huge because a, it increases your depreciation, but also when you are going to sell the property, that is huge of how important that, that the basis is essentially going to tell you how much your gain or your loss is. Right. So like back to your point, yes, you, let's just say it's as easy as 150, you will divide that by 27 and a half years and that will be your non-cash depreciation expense. So that number comes off each year on the taxes of the property, correct? Correct. So if that was 150,000 divided by 27.5, cause that's 27.5 years, does that mean I can subtract $5,454 from my, uh, gross income essentially on that property. Is that correct as an expense? Exactly. That is 100% okay. correct. So that's a huge non-cash uh, expense that 
puts you to that loss on paper, which is again, what we want to lower our taxable income. Okay. So like a lot of times you, people hear us say, you know, we want to take a paper loss because we're not physically losing a dollar amount, just our tax basis where we're looking to get taxed is a lower amount. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. A lot of stuff tonight that I'm going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the professional here and I don't study this part as much. Right. Now let, let's say, uh, cause a lot of investors on the show, they're part-time investors where they own two, three, four rental properties, mm-hmm. but they have a W2 job. Now can that depreciation work into their other income, their W2 job at all by offsetting it? Yes. So I actually put an example together and I'm going to just um, go into my Excel because I think this is the most important thing that a lot of people need to understand. One of the reasons for real estate investing. So I have a lot of clients who um, are in the high net worth salary. So like doctors and lawyers, right? So I put an example together, very easy numbers. Let's say you have a married couple. They make, they each make 250. I mean, total, they make $250,000. Okay. So they have a W2 job. They get their 250. Okay. Now they have no kids. So it's just them. Um, they get the standard deduction. We don't have to go into that in much detail, but anyways, at the end of the day, their taxable income is $225,000. I'm rounding out the numbers. Mm -hmm. Their federal tax on $225,000 is $43,000. Okay. So that sucks because when you're a W-2 employee, there's no tax strategies that you can use. Okay. So now let's compare that to having rental properties, which takes into consideration the Um, depreciation. So now let's say they have two rental properties and I'm being super conservative because I think we can definitely move the numbers, but these two rental properties have created a loss of $15,000. After all the deductions and everything, their tax went from 43,000 to 38,800. Okay. So it's not huge. It's $3,900. Right. But you have the cash flow that's coming in every single month. Right. So at a simplest terms, let's just say you get $1,200 per property. That's including the tax saving. That's almost $33,000 in that, in their pocket that they would have not been able to have if they just continue their regular W2 job. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. So that's non-taxable income on those rental properties for the most part, right? Exactly. So you get okay. cash that's coming in, you lowered your tax, your tax rate by $3,800, whatever I said. Yeah. $3,600. And you're getting $38,000 of tax of income. Right. So, I mean that right there, I mean, just the first 10 minutes of this podcast should go to show why CPA is so important because you're able to let us use all this money at an advantage. You know, you, we don't have to give this off to uncle Sam. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I call it. I call it playing the game when I talk to clients and they're like, you know, why you, why blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, if you're not playing the game, you're not winning. Who's up there in Congress making these rules. It is not someone working just a blue collar job. It's wealthy people who want these tax strategies. It's like, of course they're going to put them in there. Why not? Of course. Yeah. And we're not playing with them. And I want to stress that this isn't us trying to pull the wool over, you know, the government's eyes or, or cheating or lying or stealing. It is our money. And we're using the tax code that is written purposely for us as investors to do this. And I always look at it that, you know, these tax deductions, these tax breaks, these tax credits, they're to keep money where it belongs. You, You know what I mean by that? Because as investors, we're providing housing for the country, for the county, for the state, and therefore, they're going to give us some benefits that we're, we're doing that for them. Um, Correct. Do you have anything else on depreciation before we move off to the next topic? Anything else you'd like to touch on? Nope. Just stress the importance, again, of basis. I think that's something really important. Okay. Awesome. Uh, now, let, let's talk about um, some deductions or some expenses. So everyone always says, oh, yeah, let's do a meal expense. You know, let's deduct that while we're working. How, how does that work? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So again, this is only if you have a side hustle, which I call, you know, um, or real estate business, because even if you have just one property, I want you to treat that property as a business at the end of the day, right? It's still, you're still putting in your sweat equity and your cash equity in there. So it's only if you have a business, if, if you're a doctor, like I was saying in my example, and you have no side hustle, no rental, none of these are going to ever apply to you, unfortunately. So I say being a W2 employee, is actually hurting you if you don't have a side hustle. You're actually right. paying more into the into the taxes than you should be. Yep. So 
when we talk about these deductions, um, a lot of people always ask me like, what can I deduct? I'm like, okay, there's a lot you can deduct legally. It's just that you need to, it has to be necessary for the business, right? So let's say for example, um, I'm actually going to the BP conference in New Orleans in October. Nice. So I can deduct that, right? Because A, I'm in the business, I, I can prove, at the end of the day, you can prove that it's related to my business. If I rent a Ferrari for the day because I feel like it, I can't. Like there's, there was no necessity. What, like, what a shame. It was, <laughs> I know, I'm still figuring out how to do that. Um, but they took away the entertainment out of the tax code. I think people were really taken advantage of. Yeah, they are abusing Bugattis it. Bugattis <laughs> and Ferraris. So, um, so anyway, so that is not necessary. But me flying, um, if I want to fly, fly first class, why not? Like. It, there's no limit on telling me what kind of class I have to fly. So it's just necessary for the business. Another thing that a lot of real estate investors really miss is mileage. Um, you have a lot of real estate investors who maybe they are boots on the ground, driving around with their realtor, going to look at potential houses every single day or every week. Okay. Well, sometimes they don't even think about that. Even if you don't have a property right away and your goal is to get one this year, you're not going to remember the mileage miles that you drove next no, year yeah. when you're preparing your tax return. So it takes two seconds. There's apps for that. So yeah. So let me cut in on that real quick. So I, I have an app called, if you could see it, it's called mile IQ. Yeah. So what I do is I always have that running in the background and if it'll focus, um, what that app does is it's going to track every single mile I drive and I can swipe left for personal or I can swipe right for business. And it keeps track of where I drove, how many miles, and the, the uh, cents per mile write-off. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is it also remembers. So if you start to do the same routes, maybe to an office or to a certain property back and forth multiple times, it actually remembers those routes. And you can say, you know, always classify that as a business or a home drive. So that way you're not doing it every single drive. But it tells me April, I've done 125 drives. I've driven 1,045 miles. And I've been able to write off so far as of April, $292. That's crazy. So let's say $300 times 12 months. Let's just use that as a number. You know, that's $3,600 I can write off against my, you know, potential income each mm -hmm. year. Now, talk to me about real quick, because this is also a personal question. So I write it off per mile. Um, what about gas? Can you also write off gas or is that you can only do one or the other? You can only do one or the other. Correct. So what I suggest is, so you're a real estate agent, right? So I'm sure you're driving everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yep. For so that's why I did up the miles. Exactly. I think mileage for you might be better. Um, gas might be better for someone who's not driving as much, right? So you just okay. say, oh, you know, I feel personally um, in our realm of the real estate world, mileage has worked best and it's more cost um, tax beneficial than gas. Um, again, that app that you're talking about is five bucks. I think I have it too. Mm -hmm. um, what's $5? Again, it's a write-off. <laughs> right. It's $59 a year and it's a write-off. It's a Microsoft program actually. And it works out really well. So again, for those listening, I just want to stress what we just discussed here. You can write off mileage or you can write off gas. Um, and what Anna's saying is typically, you know, miles is going to be a much larger deduction that you can do. It's also easier to track mileage. I would say it's tougher to track gas. You know, it's kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about some, some people and I sold cars back in the day and I had a lot of clients come in leasing vehicles and saying, I'm saying, well, why aren't you buying it? Why are you leasing it? Oh, cause I'm leasing it cause I can write it off through the business. So talk to us a little bit about that as well. That's true. So again, this is why it's really important to have a CPA because what is your goal, right? Leasing. I have clients who, um, who have a fleet of cars, right? And once mm -hmm. you get to four cars, you can no longer deduct the mileage. You are forced to do leases. A lot of people don't know that. So they, you know, it's like, if that's your goal, then I rather you deduct the lease payment than the actual gas because most of these people sometimes are not driving really far. They just have different employees driving to the same place over and over. And the lease payments more than the gas in a month. Exactly. And if you have one to multiple cars, the lease payments are going to help you more. So again, it all depends on what your strategy is, what your business is like. Um, it's what's going to benefit you the most. That's why yep. it's always good to just, you know, not go to H&R Block and I don't knock them. They're great for just regular W2 employees. But when you have a business, Correct. don't, um, don't chance it. Cause you don't yeah. get the advice and that's the problem. So somewhere I think would be great for the lease write off option. If you have four or more vehicles, if someone's listening and they have a property management company and they have company vehicles, um, that'd be a great advantage to take if you have four or more vehicles like we were discussing here. So that's good. 
Correct. Um, and I think we touched on it a little bit, but what defines a write-off exactly in the IRS's eyes? Sure. So it's um, an ordinary and necessary expense. So again, let's go back to the Ferrari, right? That is not necessary, no matter who my client is. I don't care if it's the president or, you know, anybody. It's like, it's not necessary for me to run my business. However, it is necessary for me to go and attend these um, real estate conventions so AI can learn more about my niche, but also network. So when I, I've had audits with um, the state of Wisconsin and when, you know, you go in there and they ask you for all this information at the end of the day is I want to feel comfortable representing my client. Right. So if I can, if I can definitely say, okay, this is a write-off, I can defend you in court or in front of an agent, let's do it. <laughs> And there is a lot that you'd be surprised that can be written off. I mean, you can definitely write a lot of things off. Meals and entertainment is huge. And a lot of things, people don't take advantage of that or they might um, abuse it. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone abuses that. But again, if you have a piece of paper that tells me who you were with, that's the biggest thing. This is a tip, at least in, um, in Wisconsin, what they're looking for is the receipt. And behind it, they're looking at who you were talking to. Right. So, and what you were talking about. So if I give you an example, so let's say I, my, my wife is my business partner. Let's say my wife and I go out to dinner once a week. And during that dinner, we strictly, not strictly, but 75 or more percent of it, we talk about uh, real estate or strategies to improve our business and improve mm -hmm. our income. Is that meal able to be written off through the business or how does that look? Yeah. So, okay. It's a, it depends. So a lot of these questions that um, it comes to IRS, it's always, it depends, right? So yep. Depending on what your structure is, as you're going to see in S Corp, there are bigger ways to get these meals write-offs totally different. So that's why tax strategies are great. So yes, every week, you know, it'd be kind of hard. Yeah. Yep, a little excessive. There might yeah, be a little excessive. Of that right. Meal yeah. entertainment. Yep. Right. Um, once a month, I'll give it to you. I think, is she on your board of directors? Do you have an LLC? These are the kind of things that the IRS is looking for. Are you completely, is she, she should be on your board of directors, right? She should hold you accountable. Right, Who else yep. should be on your board of directors? You know, I have my parents on my board of directors so that when I do go out to meetings with them, I write down our minutes, but that meal that I went to have is 100% or 50% deductible. So again, it's just knowing and talking to your CPA of like, hey, what can I do? Because if there's an audit, I wanna make sure that you're covered. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Now, talking about receipts and write-offs, how should someone, it, it, let's say someone has an LLC. So we're going to look at an LLC or someone who personally is just owning homes in their own name. How should they keep track of their receipts for their write-offs? Should they do it digitally, physically, both? How does that look? So receipts are a must. A lot of people think that credit card statements will suffice, and that's not true. Because Correct. just they because you want to, yeah, they don't itemize what you did or what you bought. Right. So Nowadays, there are people who like to keep box receipts, but again, we're in 2020. There are different, <laughs> there's definitely, my dad is one of them, actually, when you were talking about the mileage, I'll have to send you the picture. My dad literally hand writes. Oh gosh, mileage. God bless him. <laughs> like, Doesn't want to spend the $5 yes, per month? No. no. Yeah, no, true. I'm like, that's how the rich stay rich, right? No, I'm like, yeah, yep, dad, yep. that's true. <laughs> um, so I don't care how you keep track of it. Um, I guess for me is work smarter, not harder. Um, there's apps out there. There's receipt bank. There's QuickBooks that you literally take a picture of it. It uploads it and it's there. I don't need to hold a piece, a whole box of receipts. Like in back is there the any day. free apps you can suggest to anyone or are they all typically paid? Like They're a, all typically a, a paid that I know of. So receipt bank is one of them. That's, I think it's like $8 a month to be honest. It's um, totally worth it for what totally you're Totally worth it. Yeah. And then QuickBooks self-employed is also yep. another one. I think it's like 10 bucks a month. Um, just take a picture, throw the receipt away, move yep. on. So something I do, and I know it sounds silly. So I keep all my receipts digitally on my computer. I keep a, a file per month and per LLC because I've got one separate from selling real estate versus buying real estate. Mm -hmm. um, I, I keep them in folders by month, by year, of course. Perfect. And then I also actually keep the physical ones as well. Okay. And the reason why I do that is because, yes, I back up my computer, but God only knows if something ever happened to my computer and everything got wiped out. The IRS isn't going to give me a, you know, a, a pass. Yeah, pass on that exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, Absolutely. so so receipts, write-offs, keep track of them. Just make sure you have them accountable in case, let's say, there is an audit or something coming your way that you need 
you know, show proof to the IRS, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also another thing that sometimes people think is that we as CPAs are responsible for that. So again, um, I'm sure in every engagement letter that clients receive, we are not auditors. We're not auditing you, right? So whatever you're telling us to an extent, because we're also going to, we know ethically what's, what can be right and what's wrong. At the end of the day, the burden falls on the taxpayer. So right. if, an, if an audit comes, you have to provide me with the receipts that you told me you spent $10,000 and X. Y, right. Z. I mean, how many clients do you have? You can't sit over here and, and keep track of everyone's receipts. That'd be insane. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely do not do that. Um, so we do accounting, but we, when it's something major, I do ask for the receipt just to, you know, of course. Like, did you need that? Um, but no, like a closing disclosure on a property. You obviously well, want that because yes. there's write-offs for closing costs and Absolutely. you need to know the cost basis of the property, right? Yes, exactly. And another really important receipt that I, uh, that are really good for real estate investors is when you fix something. So repairs and maintenance for a lot of people, they're just like, Oh, you know, um, I put in $5,000. Okay. Well that could really hurt you if you don't actually itemize your receipt. So you have a safe harbor that's $2,500, right? So per the IRS, real estate investors, anything over 2,500 has to be capitalized, okay? Mm. So if you're telling me that you're gonna, you have a, a four unit and you have to put new appliances in all units, that might get you to the $10,000, let's just say, okay? Right. What if you give me an itemized receipt and you buy for each single one, make it under the 2,500? I'm actually going to be able to write that off 100% versus you giving me an entire receipt telling me you spent $10,000. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That That's huge. I mean, I think that's something that you never hear about or you don't hear people talk about. And again, this is the not so sexy side of real estate investing. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to post the before and after pictures, you know, the, the new flooring, the nice property, you know, it's great cash flow, but no one actually wants to talk about this side of it. And that's why I think it's so important. I wanted to, you know, hone in on one episode of this. Yeah, um, it's not it's not fun, but um, I mean, I, I I mean, I enjoy what I do, but I think education is key. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people get, like you said, they get hung up on. Okay, I need to flip this property. I mean, flipping is a totally different game, right? But I need to get this property up and running in six months and rent it so I can get cash flow. Great. So what do they do with those receipts? They start just piling them on. They're like, oh, whatever, I don't care. Okay, well then next year, if you if you only see your accountant once a year, which that is a horrible thing, um, I don't advise. I can't do anything for you. Now I'm stuck right. telling you that I have to depreciate something over even 15 years. That's nothing. Yeah. And you're, you're mad. And I'm like, well, sorry. Like that's your fault. Not mine. I, exactly. you know? I, I told you. <laughs> I told you. So yeah. it's really important to just talk with someone who knows the niche so that when you're running your numbers, you're like, let me save this. Let me save this. Right. Okay. Now to kind of go back a little bit before we go too far off, um, when we were talking about, writing off paper losses on real estate. Let's mm -hmm. say you had an actual loss, like you actually had more expenses, not deductions, expenses, than your income was actually able to come in on that property. Can you offset that income with your W-2 income? How does that look? Yes, so that's great. Up to $25,000, okay? okay? So that's when it starts getting passive and active. Um, so the rules are very um, detailed on this and very, what's the word? Uh, they're very strict on this because if you have a loss over $25,000 and your AGI gets over a certain amount, you start losing that $25,000. Wow. And it just gets carried over every single year. Okay. Unless you're an active real estate person. Okay. Now everybody, when their losses are over 25, are like, yeah, I'm active. I'm actively <laughs> calling. No, you're not. Like you have to put a certain amount of hours um, and I have it written down, I just don't have it pulled up. So I'll send that to you so we can post it. Um, if you have a regular W-2 job and you are thinking that you're active, you're most likely not. You literally have to keep really detailed time logs of every hour that you're working in real estate to meet the, the, the limit of hour, the requirement hours. There's absolutely very, it's very hard for an actual W-2. There's no way that my doctor is being an active real estate when he's putting in 60, 70 hours a week, no way. Right. It's impossible. It's impossible. About. So you're, you're, that's it. Like you're limited at 25 and it's, oh, well, but you have your cash flow, right? So, yep. So if I'm a real estate agent and also a real estate investor, does that make me an active real estate investor yes. because I'm an agent? Yes. I mean, okay. I'm going to say yes, but obviously we would have to go into depth about how many hours you spend, but right, most of, of the time you can. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'll just get my real estate license. That means I'm 
I'm good to go. And that's no, not you true. Have to use it. <laughs> yeah, you have to use it. You actually have to have your job. That has to be your full time job. Then you are considered active. Then your losses are not limited to the twenty five thousand um, dollars. So that's something that when you are thinking about investing or you are already investing, you have to know what the the rules are. Right. Okay. Awesome. No, that's really good. So for this next part, when we get a drum roll going, please, the yeah. famous 1031 exchange oh. that everyone likes to talk about. <laughs> this one's, this one's like good and bad because there's so many aspects and timelines to it yeah. that it, it gets a little stressful, especially for someone who's trying to do the 1031 exchange. But it's, I think it's a really powerful tool for wealth building over time until death in real mm-hmm. estate. Really, um, so literally. 10, so it's called 1031 exchange because so it's called 1031 exchange because if you have a property so let's say you have a duplex and you're like okay i'm gonna sell this but i want to buy an eight an eight unit so whatever gain you have from that again with the basis super important whatever gain Mm -hmm. you have will be deferred if you use it for a like-kind property clue word like-kind investment yep yes the like-kind investment um that is the best thing because you're not paying capital gain rates on anything. Like you're literally just deferring your tax, like you said, until death. And All then, right, hold that thought. What's capital gains? <laughs> well, okay, you want me to say, okay, sure, capital gains. I do, because I know some people won't understand what capital okay, gains are. Sure, so capital gains is an extra tax that you have when you sell something, um, and it depends on what your tax bracket is. It's 0, 15, and 25. So it's an additional- That's for long-term, right? Long-term, correct. Which most of the time, you know, hopefully you held your property for at least a year. Right. Unless you're so, flipping. Unless you're flipping and now you're Which in a totally different, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in a different tax. We're talking totally different than buy and hold. This is um, strategies for buy and holds because again, a lot of people think I had a client come to me, they flipped a property, used that money and bought a buy and hold. That is not like kind. Okay? Right. Like kind is buy and hold for buy and hold. It is not, yep. I'm flipping today buying and holding tomorrow. Nope, that's not true. So they were like, oh shoot, now I have to pay capital gains. Or I'm like, yeah, well you should have known better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should have discussed with me before yeah, I like, made these I don't know, like, large exactly. decisions. <laughs> exactly. So um so that's what capital gains is. It's just an extra tax and it depends on what ta- what the your AGI is. Um, so back to 1031, it defers that gain over and over. So now let's say you're in this A unit and now from the A unit you want to buy a 50 unit and you have a gain. Now you're still deferring that. Um, Like you said, it is a very timeline process, if that's the word I want to use. So I use, so I will do the tax return, everything, but I outsource that to an expert, to a 1031 expert who's going to walk my client through it because I like to just use experts. I don't like to pretend I know everything. So I'm like, okay, you're ready for this 1031 exchange? Go talk to this person because they're going to walk you through every single step of what to do, when things are due, so you actually need the 1031. Right. And, and I say it's kind of like a doctor. Like you don't have an eye surgeon do brain surgery. It's two exactly. totally different things. You don't specialize in 1031 exchange. A real estate agent doesn't specialize in 1031 exchange. And there's very particular aspects of the 1031. I mean, we can make a whole episode on 1031 mm-hmm. exchange. Absolutely. We, one day we probably will. But like it's, you know, someone who's not related to you in any form or has nothing to do with your business has to hold on to those funds. It's a, it's a mutual, not a mutual party. Um, but just to kind of touch on that capital gain. So how that works is let's say I bought a property again, easy numbers for a hundred thousand dollars. Three years later, I sold it for 150. The realized gain is 50,000 because that's the difference of 150 to a hundred. So I'm going to have to pay. What was it? What What did we say? 50. It depends on what bracket bracket. you're at. Yeah. So let's say you're in the, let's say you qualify for the 50 for the 15, you're at $7,500 that you'd have to pay easy numbers. Yep. So that's how much I, you know, I'm gonna have to pay on that gain, which is a, it's a decent chunk. So it, it's something I really don't want to have to pay. So what I'm able to do is I'm able to roll that into the next property I buy, which is a like asset. So a buy and hold, buy and hold real estate. It can't go into stocks or paper assets um, or like, you know, like Anna said, flips. So the way I'm able to do that is I'm going to be able to keep deferring those, you know, those taxes into the next property and keep going. And ideally, I want to keep doing it. And that last property, I don't want to sell it. I want to die with that in my portfolio. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds dark, <laughs> but no. I, I'm able to do that because if I leave that asset behind for my family, 
I don't know the name for that, but all those taxes get wiped away, correct? Yes. Well, it depends because now you're giving them to them and they might be a step-up basis. So it gets really complicated once you die. It's not right. as easy as people think. You die also, but you have a lot of um, investments. It is a lot more complicated. Um, so, but yes, eventually you die, but hopefully you've positioned yourself that you have um, left your family with, hey, if this happens, let's strategize for when I die. That's a, it's, you, like you said, it sounds really dark, but when you're really investing your whole life, you want to make sure that you don't leave your family with all of that. Right. Because a majority of these people are doing this for their family and they don't want to accidentally screw it up by, you know, the, the knowledge that they don't have. Exactly. Um, and this is tax planning. You know, that that's mm -hmm. what this is. That's why we sit down and we talk about these things. Um, I don't really plan on ever doing, I probably plan doing one 1031 exchange right now. I'm really in the, the flips, the buy and hold rentals for small multifamilies. Okay. One day I do want to gain up enough and be able to 1031 exchange all those into like one large, like 150 unit with some yeah. self storage on it, just to keep everything under one roof in the portfolio down the road. But you know, that's again, looking at a tax strategy basis for that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, which I, I, you Don't need to, <laughs> yep. I got you. You got um, this. <laughs> it has to be a, a higher priced asset, correct? You can't correct. go down. So I can't have a property I sold for 150 and roll all that into, which is impossible unless it's leveraged to a $75,000 property, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that doesn't usually happen, but if that is right. the case, then buy two. So that yep. you, you know, so again, it's like just strategizing. What's your goal? Having someone on your side that knows this is really going to help you as opposed to just kind of yourself trying to figure it out. There's no way that, I mean, I probably wouldn't even do my own 1031 exchange. I'd still hire my expert and be like, you can't, you can't do everything. And if you do, you're going to drop the ball on something. It's going to happen to anybody who tries to do everything. Right. And you want to, and well, not you want to, you have to use all of those funds from that project to the next mm -hmm. one. Um, you can't right. dip into any of that. No, um, if you dip, then you've kind of broken that 1031 and now you're back to, but you know, people don't know that people are like, mm -hmm. Oh, I'll just hold it here. I'm not going to touch it. No, yeah, it has right. to be held by a, a mediator I, uh, really. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So, so that's the, the option for, you know, not being able to touch your funds. Let's talk about how refinance is so important with all of this. So I'll let you dive into that and how that stands as a tax free point. Yeah, I know if it's weird because I've been on um, several podcasts and just talking to people and they've kept, there's this lie going around town that refinancing is a taxable event. I don't know why or who's telling this lie, but that's not true. Correct. It's um, not. That's no. the beauty of it. Yes. It's like, everyone's like, well, how am I going to get taxed if I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait, I, I, there was like a time I'm like, let me Google this really quick. Am right. I yeah, wrong? You, you, they yeah, almost make like, you feel unsure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I'm like, wait, no, I know I'm right. Um, I'm like, definitely. Okay. So refinancing um, is not a taxable event. It's exactly like you said, the beauty and the strategy of being able to take money out, take the equity that you have in a property and use it as leverage to buy something else. It's as easy as that. It's not a taxable event. Let's say you do that. Let's say, you know, you don't have any money. Let's say you don't have the 20% down as an investor to buy your first property, but you live in a house, you have enough equity, you could refinance, take that money out and use it as a down payment for your property. And now you can create a loss on paper, which will help you offset that one. And then people keep doing it over and over, refinance, refinance from one to the next to the next. Yep. And I, I think obviously if everyone's listening to a podcast, they know the Burr strategy right now. That's also what makes it look so attractive because you're able to, if you do the Burr strategy, right, pull out 80% of that property value, yes. which is a hundred percent of all the money you put in. Mm -hmm. And that's all a tax free event. So you're able to pull that money out and put it into another project. And that's how you can acquire rapidly multiple assets. So it's such a, a you know, a sweet, spot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to get creative when you, when you ran out, when you run out of funds and your dad's like, I'm done lending you money, which it doesn't happen. Like in real estate at the end of the day, come with the numbers. Money is the easiest way to, the easiest thing to find. I think right now are the deals, but yep. money, as long as the numbers make sense, people are throwing money at, at the numbers. I mean, especially, that's my experience. Oh yeah. And especially the way, you know, the stock market's looking or returns in the stock market or returns on CDs or low interest bearing accounts. So you can always get more. So people do want to throw money at you in this industry. They really do. Yeah, they do. Let's talk about personal residence, you know, primary residence. How does that work at a tax standpoint? So 
let's say someone goes to, you know, they purchase their, you know, their primary residence at 200,000. A few years later, they sell it for 250,000. Is that a taxable event? How does that look? And how can someone take advantage of their primary personal residence at a tax-free standpoint? So a personal residence sale up to $500,000 of gain if you are married is tax-free. So if you buy a house- Say, say that again real quick, just so people can hear it. Yes. So let's say I buy my house for 500,000 and I sell it for a million. Then that, ex- that entire 500,000 is tax-free as long as I'm married. It's 250 if you're single. Okay. So no taxes on that. So you saw that happening actually a lot in around like 2008, 2009. What people were doing, you have to live in your house for two years though. That is the requirement. So what people were doing is they were going in buying these houses and the market was just going, or before 2008, I'm sorry, the market was going crazy. So two years later, the house was worth so much more. Two years, they sell it, they have a gain and then they would do it again and do it again. Not sure how successful those people were, but if you got out right before the crash, you could have right. made a lot of money because it's tax-free money. Okay. Now, let's say someone bought their house for two hundred thousand, sold it for two hundred and fifty thousand a year later. How does that work in a taxable event? So that is taxable because it's not two years. Um, okay. So that would be depending. It would be a long term, depending on the time. If it's held more than a year, then it would be long-term capital gains. If it's less, then it's a short-term capital gain rate. Okay. And just to touch on again, what you said, someone has a house for 500, they sell it for a million. It's a $500,000 gain. So any gain below 500,000 or below, correct? Yes. So So, as long as you're married. Okay. Yep. Married. Yep. And if it's single, it's 250. So Mm -hmm. again, another example, and I love giving examples because it's just, you know, it's an image in people's heads. Let's say I bought a house for a million dollars and I sold it for a million two, three years later and I'm married that now that difference of 300,000, that's a tax-free event, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. Awesome. So mm-hmm. that's just given real world example. No, I'm not buying a million dollar house right now. <laughs> so it's not a real world example. Yeah, no, totally. I get what you're saying. I just wanted to give a super easy example, but it's, it's nice. Um, again, you can take a line of credit, refinance your house and use it as a down payment for your investment property as well. Okay, great. Um, let, let's see someone is notified that they're going to be audited or they're going to have a tax audit. How can they prepare for that audit? So that way everything goes clean well and they don't have any issues. Absolutely. So that's like the, everyone is like, what if I get audited? I'm like, exactly. Well, are you running for the cartel? Like what's going on? (laughs) Like if you have nothing to hide, don't worry about it. Like all it's going to cost you is CPA fees. Maybe now, there are cases that um, taxpayers have fought and have won to go to court. And that's awesome because that's our right to fight what we believe, right? But if it's something easy, um, don't worry about it. Like as long as you, ha- that's why I stress people are like, oh, I, I've, I used to have clients, not anymore. Well, sometimes I do. I still, I'm like, well, can you just put like it was $12,000? I'm like, no, hey, I'm not doing that. To like, I know it wasn't $12,000 exactly. Like when you see an expense for like, zero 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 it's very rare unless it's like a car for thirty six thousand but then there's taxes mm-hmm. there's license fees so it's very rare to see an expense be exactly twelve thousand dollars you know what i mean so mm-hmm. keep track of your receipts even as a non-real estate investor let's say you're just a do- well no i guess no the only way that you know if you were to get audited as a w2 employee you really have nothing but it's right. really when um when you have a side hustle when you start creating a schedule C, a schedule E, just keep track of everything. If you're not yep. lying, don't be afraid. Like, why exactly. are you scared? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, now, everyone that invests in properties or most primary residents, you're always going to have a mortgage on that property. Looking at an investment standpoint, not the primary residence, can you write off that principal or interest on the mortgage payment? Yeah, so not the principal. Uh, but the interest, yes, if that is in your, if you are a real estate investor, yes. So the things that you can write off when you look at your schedule E, which is your rental properties is really management fees. That's huge. If you have someone uh, being a property management, property manager, I'm sorry. Um, utilities, mortgage interest, taxes, that includes city taxes, local taxes, water, title fees, anything related to the, to that property can be written off mileage again you know sometimes a lot of things people miss are telephones so your cell phone you are even if you're not managing your property day to day a portion of your of your um, cell phone is if something happens who's the property manager is going to call you right 
right. hopefully Probably not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a little expense, but it's like at this point, it's like everything counts. I'm here to write everything off I can. I am not missing one thing. Right. So basically what it comes down to is everything related to your investment properties be able to, is able to be written off. If the principal isn't, you're looking at a depreciation standpoint of where you're able to write that off from that standpoint. Right. So every expense, you know, keep track of everything. I mean, the way I do it is, you know, CPA bookkeeper, they keep track of everything. But I also have spreadsheets myself where every time I spend a cent, I enter it in there. So I have accountability of where that dollar was spent um, and at what property as well. And, you know, just to make everything flow really well. And I think that's important that you keep your own. I mean, um, Dante, because at the same time, like we're humans, like mm -hmm. we pretend sometimes like clients sees us as like superheroes, which thank you, but we're not like, we are probably going to make a mistake. I've made mistakes. So having you and my clients say, Hey, you missed this. Thank you for letting me know. Let me fix it. Like, let me own up to my mistake. Right. Don't right. leave We're not your, your accountant. <laughs> exactly. And don't leave your accountant just because they made a mistake, a significant, I mean, if they make a huge mistake and they don't own up to it and you're like, seriously, let's talk. But if it's an error, a calculation, good luck finding a, an, a CPA, a lawyer, anybody that's going to be perfect. And if right. you do, I mean, let me know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, we're, we're humans here. We're humans working. So we're always going to screw something up, you know? That's why there's title insurance because something gets screwed up in the line at, you know, the chain of the title. And that's why we have that there. You just fix um, it. Exactly. So what about a, a HELOC? So home equity line of credit that someone's using. So let's say you have equity in a property and you're using a HELOC to use that money to pull out. So that line of credit on that property to your down payment for another investment property is interest right. Uh, are you able to write off interest on the HELOC and is there a max? Yes, you still can, as long as it's for your property, right? If it's for your second home, um, let's say you have a house here, my, prim my primary residence is in Milwaukee, but I have a house in Florida, there is a max. But if I'm using my HELOC for my primary residence to purchase investment properties, there is no limit because I can buy as many properties with that HELOC and deduct that interest. So it's just like a loan. Um, and again, you're building, you're, you're depreciating it. You can't deduct the principal, but the interest is there. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people, Felipe, for example, he uses, he exercises the HELOC method. Yeah. You know, he pulls out that forced appreciation, that forced equity he puts in a property and puts it to good use. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So he's um, my mentor and my client. So I can tell there you go. stories. I won't tell you. Uh, I do. I've heard some of them. <laughs> <laughs> he's that client was like, I got this accounting down. And I'm like, oh, what is this? It's oh like four gosh. years. So he doesn't care that I do this. And I'm like, it's so important to have an accountant. Mm -hmm. It is. It, it very much so is. Anna, do you have anything else you'd like to, we're going to go into another segment off the tax topic, but do you have anything else that I didn't really touch on something you just wanted to add in there and talk about, or do you think we covered a decent chunk of it in about, you know, 40, 45 minutes here? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we covered a bunch. I mean, accounting and, and real estate taxes is totally like we could talk for days. You can make a whole, uh, podcast about it like whole yes. series <laughs> exactly yeah so it's really important that at the end of the day investors just know that they don't know the tax law and it's changing constantly so don't look at your cpa as an expense look at it as an investment so get someone who knows your niche whether that's in you know restaurants whatever i know this is all and um, real estate invested focus but again you can't have a cpa of all trades you know the big firms they have the manufacturing department, they have the real estate. So when you go see your CPA, make sure that they are um, experienced in your niche. Exactly. And it comes back to building that team. We talk about that all the time. You know, your team of your real estate agent, your real estate attorney, your real estate CPA, you know, your, your real estate insurance broker. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. You have to build that team. And someone else, you know, I just had on the podcast was talking about it. You can't really build your team or the whole team before you buy a property because you can't find a plumber and be like, hypothetically, what would happen if this happened? They're like, they won't need an answer, you know? No, but that's true. <laughs> exactly. But stuff you can have is a real estate agent, an attorney and a CPA and say, Hey, I'm buying this property. You know, someone can approach you. I'm buying this property. I'm about to close on it. As soon as I close, let me get you the closing disclosure or the HUD statement. That way, you know, perfect. you can start perfectly and say, Hey, this is the closing cost. This is the cost basis I'm going to be starting with. And here's the property mm -hmm. taxes. You also know that mortgage payment. So you know the interest you can write off. So um, it's very important if you are a real estate investor, literally tomorrow, go find a CPA if you do not have one because 
because I, of a CPA, you know, that I have on my team, I am able to take advantage of so many different things. And I was able to take a beautiful paper loss, you know, in 2019. And therefore I was able to keep more of my money in my pocket. Perfect. Yeah. I'll, exactly. Play the game. If you're not playing the game, you're losing. Period. Exactly. That don't know how else to say it. <laughs> and you can't play a game without a team. Typically. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so if you can't, what is that saying in English? If you can't beat them, join them. Yes. My first, I think English is my second language. So sometimes I try to be really clever. Yeah, I know. It's just funny. He's like, what do you guys say in English? This yeah, is funny that? That's good. So we're going to go over to our section called the curious cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you and you can answer them. A few in here that are real estate invested topic wise, go about it however you want. Okay. Uh, first question, uh, favorite podcast you like listening to doesn't have to be real estate related. It's called my favorite murder. It's about, wow. it's crazy. I know. Would you sorry. say your primary language is <laughs> Spanish? Remember that whole cartel thing I was telling you yep, about? Yep. <laughs> um, it's called My Favorite Murder, and it's these two girls who just sit around and talk about real life murders, and I love it. <laughs> that probably is extremely entertaining, actually. It is. It's funny. They make it funny. Okay, good. Awesome. Uh, favorite book? Um, How the Rich Stay Rich. So if you've never read that, it's, gosh, I can't remember who it's by, but it's actually, um, after I read um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think it's by Robert. Um, I read it a long time ago. I should read it again. It's so, it just opens your mind. It's the next level of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It opens your mind on how, you know, as real estate investors, what your goals are here, right? So you got to think like people who are here and he opens your mind to be like, crap, like that is how the rich stay rich. So, uh, is it how to get rich and stay rich? Is that what it is? I thought it was I just how to make sure I'm thinking of the rich. right one here. Um, let me look at it in my Why the Rich Are Getting Richer by Robert Kiyosaki. Why the Rich Are Getting Richer. Oh, you can't. It's like hard it. to focus. Um, I think I finished it when I first heard this in like three days. It was an <laughs> audio. It's so good. So I re- definitely recommend it. Okay. That's good. Uh, next question. Biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in real estate, but we can say biggest hurdle you've had to overcome, uh, in, you know, being a, an entrepreneur an investor or investor or well, excuse me, CPA. Um, well, I'm not, I haven't had any yet with real estate, so I'm going to go and I have a dove in, you know, I just have the money sitting there one day I'll spend it. Um, really the biggest hurdle I think for me was opening my firm. Okay. Um, but you know who the hurdle was? It was me. It was my fear. So when I talk to people in real estate, I can relate to them 100% when they're like, I'm scared. I'm like, you got this. Like every, anything you want to do, the only thing holding you back is your fear. Right. That is so it's the it, only thing. So it's really, you'd say the, you know, the biggest thing holding you back or your biggest hurdle is, you know, fear of failing in or going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, that's good. I think a lot of people can relate with that. And, you know, hearing someone like yourself that had that fear, but are now successful and know what you're talking about and do a good job, that should be a good example. And I say this because, you know, growing up in Mexico, it's like in the United States, you have literally the amount of opportunities that if you are not successful, it's because you're just not putting your 100%. The sky is the limit. So maybe I take that for granted. Maybe um, I take that more into heart because I've just grown up in a different country that it's like, just work hard, just hustle. Right. And and it's not to say, obviously I've never lived in another country, but we're pretty spoiled here and we have a lot of open opportunities and a lot of freedom too. So Mm -hmm. we should be able to exercise those every day. (laughs) Spoiled is the right word. It is. Yeah. (laughs) It is. Uh, Next question, favorite part of investing or favorite part of being a CPA? Yeah, no. So investing, I mean, like I said, I did the flip. So investing is really just knowing that I'm going to be able to take that money that, I mean, I bought the house at like 170, we flipped and sold it for 245. Nice. So knowing that I can take that money and continue growing my wealth and eventually be able to, you know, people say, I just want to sit on a beach. It's like, I want to sit on a beach and help people, but I want to know that I'm okay. So knowing that I can capitalize on other people's money, that's key. Yeah, no, that's good. Awesome. Uh, biggest hero you have? Biggest what? I'm sorry? Hero. My mom. Uh. my mom uh she did a lot for us she came here um she was i mean i won't get into the detail i'll probably just start crying but she literally started as a bus girl at ihop 
And wow. now she has her own insurance broker agency. And I, she really lived in a one bedroom apartment, three of us and Southside central LA. Um, and now we're here. And if it wasn't for her, we definitely, I would definitely not be where I am. So she set a really good example for you. Yeah. I mean, she's a hustler and you know, I don't know. She's maybe, a hustler, baby. <laughs> yeah. Mexican moms are like, I'm like, mom, she's like, don't cry. They get over it. I'm like, okay, yeah. I love you, <laughs> Big girls don't cry. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, mom. She's like, I wasn't crying when I was serving people. I'm like, okay, mom. That's funny. <laughs> You're right. Uh, favorite non-real estate related hobby? Tennis. Tennis? Oh, you're a big tennis player? Yeah. I mean, I'm not good, but it's so, like all the time. Yeah, definitely. That's my <laughs> second career. Okay. How long have you been to. playing that for? So I, I was playing when I was in high school. So I was about 10 years ago and then we just kept going. I mean, I'm really into working out and I'm like, let's just play tennis. And then me and my daughter and my husband play at tennis when it's nice here in Wisconsin, which is like two days. Yeah. Yeah. There you like go. New York, right? Yep. I... I, I think we got into this a little bit before, but newbie advice that you'd give to someone that's looking to get started in real estate investing. Do your research, first of all. But my biggest thing is run the numbers. That's always and get, like you said, your team going. Talk to people. Expand, expand your mind to not think that, you know, the real estate agent or your lawyer are an expense or an overhead. That could cost you thousands of dollars by you doing it your way and the cheap way. So if you're really in it for the long game of becoming real estate investor and financially free, change your mindset. If you're in the mindset of a consumer, you're in the wrong career. Right. No, that's good. That's good. That's awesome. No, that was good. So that's all the questions there. I think we killed it on this episode. You did a great job. Yeah, thank you. Definitely talking about taxes a little bit off the topic of actually investing in real estate. So it's a little different <laughs> for us. Um, and at where can someone go to connect with you, ask questions about you or just shoot you a message and say, Hey, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you can um, go to my Instagram page at Anna Klein CPA. That's with one N and we do, ha- we do offer 20 free 20 minute consultations just to see if it makes sense to work together. Um, so go check us out. Awesome. We put a lot of memes up. Tiger oh, there you King go. I do. I, I did see that one last week. That was good. I just finished watching Tiger King with my wife and then I saw the meme so and I was good. like, that's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Anna, so much for being on the show and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Dante, so much for the opportunity. Of course. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.